Coming up in this week's episode of Destination Linux, we have an interview with Jill Bryan. We'll take a look at Ubuntu 2004, discuss Fedora 32 beta, some of the benchmarks between the latest Fedora and Ubuntu, and we'll dive into our software spotlight along with the tips and tricks, as well as discuss Proton in our gaming section. All this and more coming up on Destination Linux. Welcome to Destination Linux, episode 171. This is a podcast about sharing our passion for Linux and open source. Destination Linux is a show for experiences of all levels. So whether you're a beginner to Linux or a master sudo, we welcome you. My name's Noah, and with me today are the newest residents of the Animal Crossing, Michael and uh, Ryan and Jill. Hey, guys. Yeah. What's going on this week? Well, first, we we enjoy our new residency at Animal Crossing, so that has been fun. Uh, also, I played that game so much on my mobile, by the way. It's available on your mobile device uh, with my daughter. And what an insanely stupid concept that's so much fun. <laughs> right. So, Jill, how about you? What uh, what have you been up to this week? It's good to see you again. Yeah, I know. Great. Good to see you outside of scale, Noah, and and Michael outside of Big Daddy Linux. And Ryan, this is the first time I actually talking to him outside his outside of his YouTube videos and, and Twitter. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, just out of curiosity, awesome. I need some clarification here now. Do you talk to Ryan during his YouTube videos? Like, do you have him up on the screen and give him feedback? I, I have, yes. Yeah. Okay. Been a, Jill has been a patron yeah. of my show for a very long time, long-time supporter. Jill's amazing and supports lots of shows out there in the Linux community. So I want to thank yeah, you personally for that, Jill. Oh, thank thank you. And what I'd like to say first off is I'm excited to be here. And, been, and like uh, Ryan was just saying, I've been a viewer and patron of Destination Linux, of Tux Digital, and of Ryan's channel from the beginning. Um, oh, thanks. I, thank you. There's no way we can yeah. thank you too much. Like, <laughs> like, but we are very excited to have you on the show. Oh, yep. same here. And yeah. So what have I been up to? I've been doing lots of podcasting, of course, game streaming and having fun testing Ubuntu 2004 and playing games, including Sirius Sam 2 on uh, Proton. And it's working beautifully. Nice. <laughs> oh, very nice. So Sirius Sam is one I've not gotten into before. Is this a really, and I think it's up my alley. It's a first person yes. shooter, as I recall. Yes. And it's been around for a while, right? Yeah. In fact, we've played almost uh, every one on um, Linux Gamecast. And I love playing Serious Sam because it's really fun with multiplayer. Because nice. it has a lot, it's a first person uh, shooter, but it has a lot of humor in it. And it's just a lot of fun to, to play with your friends and, and try shooting each other. <laughs> so we do a DL gaming <laughs> night again. We're going to have to put Serious Sam on the menu there. Yeah, yeah for sure. It's awesome. <laughs> Michael, how about you? What have you been up to this week? Well, I've been I've been doing quite a few things in the back end for all kinds of stuff. I even changed some OBS settings. <laughs> oh, that's Do we shocking. get new scenes? Ooh. Yeah, please tell me we have another eighty. <laughs> well, I just changed what existing scenes already did, but I, I didn't make oh. any new ones. But don't worry, those are coming next time. I've also wrote some uh, articles for Front Page Linux. That's our new article website and news site. And we t I wrote an article for about the release of Ubuntu 2004 and all the details and stuff like that. And I also wrote an article that's a little bit clickbaity. In the sense that it tells you it's an article about how to upgrade to 2004, but should you? Oh, and the answer to that is basically yes and no. It depends on your hardware and your setup. Uh, but anyway, I also did something that I am super excited about, and it was a long time coming, uh, obviously, because how, how long it takes to do that. But 
Episode 100 of This Week in Linux was this past episode. So I am so happy. Yeah, I'm so excited that I finally got to that. And uh, yeah, I didn't didn't expect to get to 10, much less 100. We didn't either. So so congratulations. Thanks, buddy. (laughs) (laughs) I'm kidding. I'm kidding. kidding. Congratulations on that. (laughs) You had a huge showing of people. You did your show live again. You haven't done your show. For those that don't know, Michael does so much for Destination Linux behind the scenes, truly. Mm -hmm. Uh, All of the editing, a lot of the website work, marketing, all of those things. And what has had to be sacrificed, unfortunately, is his own show getting his show live and all of that stuff to get all of this content out. So the fact that you were able to bring it back live for episode 100 was amazing. And the amount of people that showed up to see it, I thought was quite amazing as well. A lot of people were very uh, thirsty to have that back live. Yeah, again. yeah. So, that was pretty awesome. And I, I, yeah. I just for anyone, I just want to thank everybody who showed up to the live, especially because it was also on a Monday and not on, like, not on a reasonable time frame. It was like Monday afternoon. But uh, I, I just want to thank him for, for so much for showing up because it was also I didn't even tell anybody it was gonna it was gonna happen. I just you know started it live and then people started showing up and it's like it's it's so fantastic to have that kind of support. So thank you very much for that. Yeah, Ryan, how about you? What have you been up to this week? So I released a new video this week about tips for working from home. For those that don't know, uh, working from home is a, a new thing for me. I've been doing it for well over five years and manage remote teams and other things as well across the U.S. And so I've gathered a lot of tips for people who are now finding themselves in a work from home spot for the first time and things that have helped me reduce cabin fever, not get overly stressed, not work yourself to death when you are working from home and things like that. and. Support how popular that video has gotten. So appreciate all the feedback there. And outside of that, I've just been doing a lot of deep diving into Python. So I've been taking a lot of courses in Python. I've I've done this before, as you all remember, I kind of started dabbling in Python, but this time I'm really doing the full circle that I tell people when I'm learning something new of books and audio books and videos and professional courses and actually doing exercises and really trying to get my skills with Python to the highest level possible and having an absolute blast with it. It's such a good language. If you've not picked up a programming language before, I see why everyone says start with Python. It's just Mm -hmm. so, I don't know, understandable and you can progress with it and get results almost immediately. Because that's the big thing when you're writing a program. You're putting all this weird text in. It's this other language. And you're waiting for a result. And I think that's why a lot of people like web page building and things. Because you can kind of refresh and see your result immediately. Python's that same way, I feel like, where you can see the results of the code you're learning near immediate and start applying it to things. And that's what makes it really cool. Yeah, the barrier to entry for Python is so small, yet at the same time, the power of that fle- fle- and flexibility that Python offers is so high. So you can start simply and then start building out to a much more complex project. project. And that's one of the reasons why Python is considered the best for beginners, because it just has it has that, you know, d- e- easy barrier to growth entry. Yeah, scale. it also has the massive growth scale. Yeah. So like there's so many reasons if you've never done pro- uh, programming at all definitely check out Python. Yep, and I've taken two courses, one from University of Michigan and one from now I'm taking from Georgia Tech and I can tell you that I'm trying to get some of these teachers on cuz some of these teachers in the Python world are so fantastic. I'd love to get them on the show so I've reached out to them. Uh, nice. So That's maybe awesome. that will help in future episode. But Noah, what have you been up to? 
Not, you know, it's actually been pretty slow. We had an initial uptake, obviously, at UltraSpeed where everybody wanted to get on board with remote uh, VPN and remote work and stuff like that. But the, the last couple of weeks, I've really been spending a lot of time just hanging out with family because, you know, the kids are home uh, doing school from home. Obviously, my wife is not, you know, shopping or going out with her girlfriends or anything like that. So everybody's just kind of at home. Mm-hmm. Like you, I've ha- I was working from home before it was cool. And so what that's kind of translated to me is uh, we're just, we're having a lot of fires outside in the backyard. I, I spent la- yesterday, I bought my daughter a new ThinkPad and um, it was kind of fun. <clears throat> my son was sitting there trying to convince my wife that she should switch from Gnome to KDE. And uh, the way that he chose to go about <laughs> trying awesome. to make his case for that was he turned on wobbly windows. And I don't know if you've seen this effect, but there's an effect where the where the window will just like disintegrate into little tiny, uh, oh, like yeah. it's like vaporized. Mm-hmm. And so he turned this on, on on his sister's computer and then proceeded to go around to the rest of the family saying, here's why you should use the KDE desktop. And I was like, attaboy, plasma <laughs> kid, you know, and That's like, awesome. uh, and, and you're raising them right. Was, well, here's the thing. So my wife says, yeah, I don't have time for that because then I have to reset up all of my stuff. And of course he says, well, that's not a problem, mom. I'll reset everything up. I'll just reinstall. In fact, uh, I, when I reinstalled my operating system the last time, I set up encryption uh, on Lux encryption. And it's really cool. Then you need a password to boot the rest of your computer. And so I was like, hey, this is going in the right place. I just hope when I come upstairs after doing this show, like every computer hasn't been reinstalled. I feel like we should do a show on that maybe next week where we talk about the things you can do, geek things you can do with your family during this this lockdown. Oh, because yeah. I've got some good stuff. We did these robotics kits with my kids this yeah, week just, to build a spider and things. And there's aww. just there's so many cool things you can do out there during this time to kind of I know it's not a great time for many, but that you can maximize very low cost some of your interactions with your family and maybe get something good yeah. out of it, right? Yeah, man. Absolutely. This episode of Destination Linux and the entire DLN network is now sponsored by DigitalOcean. Now, you might ask yourself, how can an entire network be sponsored by DigitalOcean? Well, it's simple. DigitalOcean is the only cloud platform capable of powering the Destination Linux network. We have all of our servers, all of our web servers, all of the services that you use. You ask yourself, how is it that these this group of people are able to have front page Linux, a DLN podcast, all of the other podcasts that they do, the ability to bring all of these people in the Linux community together? Well, it's all powered by the world-class DigitalOcean and their customer support. They offer services for $5 per month. So you can use their flexible pricing structure for as low as 0.7 cents per hour. As Ryan would say, that's darn near free. DigitalOcean also has over 2,000 cloud agnostic tutorials. So if you don't know what you want to spin up on DigitalOcean, they'll help you decide. And then they're going to give it away for free so you can try it out. Now, you can get started by going to DigitalOcean and getting a $100 credit by going to do.co slash DLN. And that's not only going to get you a $100 credit that you can spin up a DigitalOcean droplet for free for a couple of months. It's also going to tell them that you appreciate them appreciating us. So help them help us like by it. helping yourself by going to do.co slash DLN. And a huge thanks to DigitalOcean for sponsoring this episode of Destination Linux. So in our community feedback section, Daniel writes in and says, Hi, guys. First of all, I love DL and all of the DLN shows. I really respect you guys' opinions, except perhaps in matters of stools. That's fair. You know what? That is fair critique right there. And the DLN community is a great resource for learning new things, helping others with their problems, and generally geeking out. Mm-hmm. Love that. We're all fans of Firefox here, and I'm sure we all have our favorite browser extensions, including privacy-focused ones like Privacy Badger or HTTPS Everywhere. 
However, Mozilla has been continually rolling out new built-in privacy features, and one cannot help but wonder if some of these beloved add-ons are redundant or even a weakness for fingerprinters to exploit. I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. Thanks, Daniel. Well, first of all, thank you, Daniel, for watching and listening to all the shows out there. We greatly appreciate it and love your email here. And this is a great question because I found myself personally reducing the amount of extensions I use tremendously because I feel like it's the greatest attack vector within a browser. And I think people trust automatically that a lot of these extensions out there that are free, by the way, so somebody out there is writing a lot of code for free, sticking them out there like you have in the Android store. And there's just a lot of opportunity for Bitcoin mining, information theft, all of that stuff out there. So I've reduced tremendously. If it comes from the EFF, like their privacy badger and things like that, those are some extensions I use. Of course, Bitwarden extension, um, and I have a Joplin extension. But outside of that, those are the only ones that I use. Yeah, I, I use quite a bit of extensions. But in the terms of privacy stuff like that, I think the majority of what Firefox offers is what's needed. Like I, I like what they offer now in their latest versions. So I did remove some of my uh, some of my extensions that re- are related to that. Uh, but there are things that I think Privacy Badger and HTTPS everywhere are very useful. I don't know if how don't know if that would be like the fingerprinting issue would be a thing because of having those, but uh, I don't really know enough about the to- the, pro- the topic anyway to really give you a suggestion about like what I uh, would do. Uh, but I think that there's a lot of value in those pe- extensions still anyway. So maybe I mean maybe we could do some more research and find out like which one like is it worth key- can is there any redundancy with having those versus just using the Firefox and that kind of thing? Uh, but I still use. A significant amount of extensions like ryan only has a couple i have uh, probably like 20 and uh i just in fact michael tries to get me to install extensions all the time and he'll start the <laughs> yeah. sentence with this i know you don't like extensions but check out this one here yeah. I'm like I, I don't do them anymore jill what are what do you do with extensions uh i use lots of ad blockers and and uh for instance for for youtube and for websites because when i'm we, you know, when we're doing our shows, I'm doing in the show notes, I need to be able to look at the pages with all the ads coming up. Good point. Yep. <laughs> so that's the thing. And another point I kind of wanted to bring up is that one of the reasons that Mozilla was adding all these privacy features is that because um, they, they needed to help grow revenue. Um, they laid off 70 employees back in January. And this is one of the ways that they're getting revenue. Because their 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 revenue income dried up when they didn't get uh, sponsored from like the Google search and, mm-hmm. and all that. So now, how do they make money off of extensions? Are they charging for some of these? Maybe if you're a commercial entity or something. Correct. They're they're Firefox private network uh, VPN. Um, they're charging, I think, twenty dollars a month. I may be wrong on that, but it was okay. something yeah, like that. <laughs> that's for the services and stuff. Like, and I think they charge yeah. for some of the other services. It's kind of like doing a, yeah. uh, you know, competitor to Google's suite, kind of in a way. And I think, that yeah, the, I don't think that it's. I don't think the privacy in terms of like how they change the configuration of like the strict mode and that stuff. I don't think they have any way of making money on that. I think they're using the uh the, the services on top of it to make money. And I think exactly. that. I think that it's a it's a good approach, and I'm actually glad that Mozilla's doing it. And we talked about it a long time ago, where when we were talking about some people trying to create their own competitor to Google's G Suite, we we, we wanted Mozilla mm-hmm. to do it because that was like the best example we could come up with that it has the long track record and has a ton of great reputation. So 
I, I'm glad that they're doing it. And I think it's, it's fantastic that we have that as an option now. Yeah. Noah, it's what really do you good. use for extensions? I have a couple that I'm, I'm a big fan of. So the, the, the first and like one that I probably couldn't live without I actually talked about it. Ask Noah this week is dark reader and dark yeah. reader is an extension that turns all of the web pages, either dark or light. And of course my, my case, I want them dark. I of course have the Bitwarden extension and then I have the duck, duck go extension that allows uh, an encrypted connection to duck, duck go. And then also keeps track of trackers and, and so on and so forth, as well as uh, site privacy protection. Other than that, I'm with you, right? I, I just, I don't want extensions because they're not, they're, they're something that is installed on your system that has a tremendous amount of access to your data and not a whole lot of oversight by you because you, the browser is going to update. New code changes are just going to come down and you probably don't mm-hmm. think about it. When I go to install an extension, what I heavily rely on is reviews and a privacy policy. People that use Firefox are very privacy conscious, and so their reviews tend to highlight what they found, and there are people that are far smarter than me at being able to look at an extension and figure out what the code is actually doing. So I don't, I, I, I think my time is far better served relying on those people, and so when I go see an extension and I see review after review, it, it, it is, it's capturing this, there's no reason that it needs permission to do this, there's, okay, that's good, because I wouldn't know that. I don't know what a, what a reasonable permission is or not. I would say that there's no reason that a extension, that a dark theme extension needs access to the content in my tabs, but I guess maybe you can't make the thing dark without, I don't know. So, other people do, and so I heavily re- rely on those reviews, and so when I see an extension like Dark Reader that has the same privacy policy and a bunch of people saying hey you know the code is open it's on github this is what's happening this is what's happening this is good i like this okay great we're going to go ahead and install that bitwarden again open source um the code is 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 presumably being audited by people and if something did come out uh, i expect that i would hear about it so i I try and keep extensions minimal but the, the reality is that the world is heavily moving towards a browser focused uh world and so if you want a to do list if you want password managers and so on and so forth. If you want that kind of experience, then you have to find a privacy conscious way to get it. And I think Firefox offers that the best choice for that to happen. And by the way, Firefox needs to uh, get on some podcasts and shows and do some better advertising. I understand that yeah. they're financially strapped right now, but it's odd to me that they have all these services launching. I don't think a lot of people even know that they've launched, that they're out there. So I, I know we have listeners all around the world. So if you know somebody at Firefox, tell them to get somebody. By the way, they can advertise on here for free by just coming on and letting us do an interview with them. They need to talk about this stuff because I know they're hurting financially, but they're not talking about it. They're not reaching out to the, the podcast and things that could really get that message out. And I feel like they could do that without spending a dime by just having somebody come on and talk about their products and what they're doing because I think it's fascinating we all want to support it. You got to get out there and talk about it. Yep. Very important point. Uh, and I also want to go back just a little bit. Uh, I, I do when I want to say the extensions thing, I don't, I use a lot of extensions, but I also, you know, vet the extensions I use. I don't just blindly install them, but I, there's one I do want to talk about because uh, I, speaking of marketing, I did a video about seven reasons I like Firefox. And one of those is talking mm-hmm. about some extensions. So you could check that out and find out, but I'll give you a quick little synopsis is that number one reason was the Firefox extension that is made by Mozilla, which is the multi-account containers extension or container yes. tabs. And it is one of the most important features of Firefox to, to uh, these days. And it's one of the main reasons that I use Firefox now. And every time when I have people tell me like, you should use brave, you should use Chrome or you should use uh, Vivaldi or whatever. And like, well, do they have account containers? No, then no, Mm -hmm. I'm using Firefox. (laughs) And in our next 
community feedback, we have John who writes us to say, hi guys, this is perhaps a little unconventional video message, but thought you might enjoy. Here's a short video of my three-year-old son using my ThinkPad running Fedora Gnome to get to his very hungry caterpillar YouTube video. So what's amazing about this video for those of you who are listening to the audio version of the podcast is to set the scene, there's a ThinkPad out there. You see the little hands of a three-year-old navigating through Gnome easily, opening up the menu, getting the web browser open, and navigating to the Hungry Caterpillar videos all on his own next to a tray of cookies, what looks like a tray of cookies and a little toy car. So for those that say Linux is too hard, it's not approachable. It's too difficult. Uh, take a look at this video, and I think you'll change your mind uh, pretty quickly on that. And it just shows really how far along, you know, we've come in Linux since since we've started. I think it's also it's not only just is it awesome that it shows that you know a, a kid who's like three years old could also do it, but it's just it's not only is it easy to use now these days, but also this is an adorable video. Yeah. And I thought it was cool that he was actually using the touchpad. He wasn't even using a mouse. That's a good so point. That, yeah. That's good motor control for a little one. Absolutely. <laughs> well, thank you, John, for sending that adorable video in and sharing that with us. I think it's awesome. <laughs> yeah, thank you very much. We love hearing from our worldwide community. We have many ways for your voice to be heard. You can send a short email or video that may get incorporated to the show. You can send your video links or emails to comments.destinationlinux.org. We'd like to welcome to the show Jill Bryant Reinecker. Jill is the co-host of Linux Gamecast's LWDW co-organizer for Linux Chicks LA, teacher, animator, gamer, and user of all things Linux. Perhaps more importantly than all of that, Jill is known throughout the Linux community as one of the kindest, happiest people that you're ever going to meet. So with that, without further ado, we're excited to welcome Jill into the show. Jill, welcome into Destination Linux. I, I guess let's start with this. Aww. Tell me a little <laughs> bit about how you got started in Linux. Oh, boy. So it was actually 1993, and I downloaded lots of Slackware Linux floppy images from my brother's uh, BBS way back when, which I was the sysop of. And I was a sysop, but I was also <laughs> my brother's sister operator. <laughs> I love it. Nice. That's awesome. <laughs> so that was the thing. And yeah, spending hours just installing all those floppies and uh, making sure I didn't blow out my CRT. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we have a Hardware Addicts podcast where we talk about hardware, and I was about to ask you, because you are the hardware queen in my mind, about do you miss the sound and the steps of putting floppy disks in and loading things, yes. but I'm guessing... You don't miss that sound because you probably have some machines around that still have floppy disks for you to install that stuff. Oh, yeah. Probably about half half the computers in my room have floppy disks still in them. <laughs> Do you remember the little boxes we all used to buy, at least I did, that would hold like 150 of the floppy disks and it would have little tabs like file folder. You'd keep them all kind of organized the best you can. Oh. Yeah. In fact, I have um, to the left of me is a cabinet literally full of thousands of floppy disks that are all cataloged. And, I I, you know, I transferred them way back when to Cyquest drives, to zip drives, and now I've got them, you know, on, on CD-ROMs. And Man. So. <laughs> do, you, do you remember Cyquest drives, Ryan? No. <laughs> 
It was the, uh, they were one gigabyte discs, if I remember right. And at the time, it was massive because you had 1.4 megs mm-hmm. on a floppy disk, or you could do one gigabyte on a SideQuest drive. And then iOmega screwed the pooch on it because they came out with their zip drive, which had 100 megs. See, that's what and, I remember was the zip they, drive after yeah, the floppy Yeah, and the <laughs> reason you remember iOmega and not SideQuest is because they, they iOmega tanked yeah. uh, SideQuest, it, they, and, they, uh, and they, they introduced a driver. So where if you installed an iOmega, the driver for the iOmega zip drive, your Cyclist drive would stop working, and the Cyclist was mm-hmm. actually a better drive. Yeah. Oh, that's oh yeah. The Cyclist up. drives were like um, uh, miniature uh, SCSI drives. Yeah. So yeah. and they were. That uh, sounds amazing. Totally much faster. I mean, in this room, I have some parallel port ones. I have IDE ones. I. It was like a hard drive. Yeah, it was. It was a little Bernelli hard drive. In fact, back in those days, when I was doing freelance animation we used to send our files on cyquist drives <laughs> to, no you know, fedex those to different studios and whatnot this is awesome that. i've never heard of the cyquist is that what it was, <laughs> that was it, yeah. there's gonna be a lot of people uh pulling up their browser search engine right now i think yeah <laughs> well here i'll give you one more thing to look at so after cyquist and iomega f- finished battling it out then sony came out with something called a magneto optical driver an mo drive mm-hmm. And, I love um, it, and, and so they so they had so and the <laughs> MO drive was twenty five gigabytes per side of an MO disc, and so yeah. you uh, and I actually still have some original SCSI uh, MO drives that that I still have, and and so the, those magneto optical drives were what was what was heavily used in industry for transferring large data sets like architectural mm-hmm. and and graphic rendering and stuff like that from one yes. machine to an, and videos and stuff <laughs> from one machine to another. Yeah, it was fantastic. Man, the nineties were great. I want to go yeah. back to that. That's when things were yeah. like, they got better all the time. You can go back to it and hackers would be so confused if they ever got into some of your systems, <laughs> you know, wouldn't know what to do. So Jill, open source has been a huge part of your life, obviously. And we'd love to know why open source is important to you personally. We covered this on our uh, episode or two ago, of why open source is important to us. And so I thought yeah. it'd be great to find out from you why open source is important. Well, what drew drew me to it way back when was the wonderful open collaborative framework and being able to contribute and tinker with it to make it better and share it with other users in the community. It was just, it, it's such a, it, it's so far more, prog- it's far more progressive than the framework for proprietary software, which quite frankly iterates a lot slower and is often behind their open source counterparts as a result. Like Blender, for instance. Yes. Uh, Blender is way ahead of, of a lot of the proprietary 3D software because it's able to iterate a lot quicker. Yeah, absolutely. So, we look yeah. at OBS, you look at things mm-hmm. like Blender. Let me yes. ask you something. We talked about in that episode about open source that there's kind of this movement of, you know, in some cases, hey, proprietary is fine, just use proprietary. And I feel like some people coming into the community are missing out on the concept of open source, what is your balance yeah. between the proprietary and the open source Yeah, so for new users? It's, you know, for, for me as an animator and a teacher, I have to teach proprietary software as well. Yep. But what I do, my focus is, is I make sure it runs under, it's, it's, I only teach software proprietary that runs under Linux. Nice. So um, like Maya and, and the full DaVinci Resolve suite. Nice. And yeah, I just make sure, but I try to, you know, I always show them the open source source options, you know, to have them play around with Caden Live and, or Shotcut and uh, Krita and GIMP and Inkscape and, and all the wonderful graphic softwares that are out there. 
And I think that's the great balance, right? Is that's what we were saying was kind of missing is it's okay when you have to, like in your profession or my profession, there's sometimes I have to use proprietary software, but inter- yeah. make sure as a community, we're still introducing open source exactly. to people as alternatives. I think it's really important. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And the other thing about open source, what has drawn me to open source is the community. <laughs> Yay. Naturally, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so amazing, passionate and giving. And, uh, you know, once I started going to the Southern California Linux Expo 14 years ago, I knew they were my new family. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. And uh, the community is a huge part of why we love using Linux and why we one of the reasons why we even started doing podcasting. And so uh, we also we we know that you've done a lot of like distro hopping and you would say you're a distro hopper and everything like that. But we wanted to also kind of dive in a little bit more deeper than the distro part and talk about the desktop environments and like, what is your go-to desktop environment and and why is it plasma? (laughs) I do like plasma. I actually like all the, the DEs. (laughs) So, but there is actually uh, quite a few of my go-tos. I'm a bit old school. And because I started in Linux many years ago and used Unix before that, the classic and memory efficient X window managers are really my yeah. favorite. <laughs> That's fair. Love it. <laughs> yeah. So I jump back and forth from Windowmaker, Enlightenment, Flexbox, XFCE, and even TWM quite often. <laughs> I love the XFCE love in there. XFCE yeah. needs so much more love in the community. Yes. I feel like it's so undervalued, the work that's done there. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. and it's really nice because it's you know a bit heavier than the lighter weight, of course, Windowmaker, Flexbox, and whatnot. But it's a lot lighter than uh, Gnome or KDE or Cinnamon. So. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, but yeah, like I was saying earlier... I actually do use all the desktop environments. In fact, I'm using a classic GNOME on Ubuntu Mate right now, 1910, because I've been testing it on the broadcast rig, and now I'm going to update it to 2004. You know, I've been following you <laughs> as you've been doing different DEs and stuff, and GNOME seems to be something that you're actually starting to, I don't know, you're starting to, maybe you yeah. always have, but something you're really starting to have an appreciation for recently, at least in yes. the videos and stuff that I've been watching. What do you think's changed so in true. GNOME that's allowed you to have a different look at it? Oh, well, they've cleaned it up. Uh, the speed is much better. There's, there's not, a, not as much, uh, uh, not as much, uh, uh, cached source code. So, so now it's just, it's cleaner. They've, they've cleaned up, cleaned up all the little, little bits and the behind the scenes on it. And it's just so much more zippy than it used to be. Yeah. And it was, it was, that was why I always liked the classic, you know, gnome because it was faster. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. I think they've done a lot of work on the performance and that's helped a lot of people kind of rediscover gnome again. That's good work they're doing. And they've cleaned it up visually as well. You know, all those little, little ticks, even, you know, the icons work faster and just, Everything. It's just much smoother nice. <laughs> experience now. When you were interviewed on Linux Spotlight, you mentioned that your passion for Cora Linux. Can you talk about what you liked <laughs> about Cora Linux in specific? Oh, boy. So when it was released in 1999, I was teaching Corel Draw at the time, along with Autodesk 3D Studio for DOS and Autodesk Animator for DOS. And it was just so exciting to have an industry standard graphics program, not only working on Linux, but having a Linux distro that was enhanced just for it. 
And the Corel installer, bar none, was one of the easiest to use at that time. And I had several of my students install it in our, our class as, as well as at their houses and to get them to start using a Corel Draw on Linux. And it. it was just the amazing thing about it was, you know, Corel Linux proved that Wine could be used to run industry standard software. Um, including Corel Draw and Corel WordPerfect Office, they you know they run out run on Wine on Corel. So Wine became a big boy at that point. <laughs> it really had. And, you know, uh, I haven't been in yeah. Linux long enough to have been there for Corel Linux, but this fascinated yeah. me because back when owning a computer shop with my dad, Corel was yeah. one of the most popular packages we'd include with our yes. computers out there. So. I went and started looking up screenshots when you were mentioning it of Corel Linux. What made Corel Linux go away? I'm curious there. People stopped caring about it. Yeah, well, they okay. They did have really easy networking on Windows, but they had built a lot of their own tools, which didn't translate well to other versions of Debian Linux. Gotcha. And that kind of ultimately killed it. <laughs> It's kind of interesting because I I Mm -hmm. was around at the time and I saw it, but I never got into, I never tried it, even though I used Corel's other stuff like Corel Draw and and later I think Corel Balt, uh, Paint Shop Pro and stuff like that. And I I did use a lot of uh, products from Corel, but I never tried the Corel Mm -hmm. Linux thing. And now I feel like I missed out because it like the, the time that I started using Linux was around, was in 1999. So I, it never even came on my radar to actually try it. So I kind of feel like maybe that Corel was like, you know, ahead of their time in terms of like what they were offering in that era. And maybe yes. if they were to, you know, do something like this now, they would actually have like a better, uh, you know, a better platform and a better ecosystem to work with. So I, maybe yeah. this would be like a good incentive to send to Corel and see if they would think about it. Yeah. Come yeah, on back. Very Corel. true. Very true. There's stuff you can still buy their software. It's, it's still around. It's just oh, yeah. not as used, you know, Adobe's the king. Yeah. I yeah. still use paint shop pro, even though uh, it's not, awesome. you know, it's not, it's not at it's like, there's still the battle between <laughs> Photoshop and paint shop pro, but I still have, mm-hmm. I've have both and also other things. So I think it's, I think there's a potential that maybe they could consider it. I, I hope they yeah. do. Yeah. Definitely. Well, like like you said, it took Adobe uh, with Illustrator and Photoshop a long time to uh, come up with some of the uh, the functions that uh, Corel had. And uh, yeah, and in fact, a lot of people don't realize this, but Photoshop came from Aldous PhotoStyler. Adobe didn't invent Photoshop. Yeah, I did not know that. Yeah. I didn't know that. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah, Adobe didn't invent most of the stuff they have. Yeah, <laughs> actually, yeah. it's like almost yeah. anything that they made that they make now is not theirs originally. Wow. Well, and and Photo Paint had animation, and so it was one of the first times you could do animation on a Linux box. And you know, Photoshop when it came out initially didn't have animation. It wasn't until later. <laughs> so what's the difference between why Adobe really took off and Corel never did? Was it marketing or was it just they started having better features than Corel. I, I think they just had more money behind them was a lot of it. Yeah, <laughs> okay. probably. Yeah. We see yeah. that a lot, right? Yeah. yeah. There's really the marketing and also the partnerships and stuff. Yeah. The partnerships. And, you know, Corel was huge also for desktop pr- publishing and printing. And all of a sudden, you know, Illustrator came along and Photoshop and, and Adobe kind of took that market. So it's yeah. sad, but. It's true. And, and I still like a lot of Adobe products, but I still, I prefer Corel. <laughs> still, nice. Still do. <laughs> so, 
So out of the list of a million reasons why we love Jill, one of the top (laughs) of my list is the fact that you're so into hardware. We thought it would be fun, though, to find out what hardware is currently on your wish list. So let's imagine we're in the Star Trek universe. Money is no object. What are the top pieces of hardware Jill would buy right now? (laughs) Oh, boy. I want a Next Cube. Um, I have a Next Station, but not the Cube. And they are thousands of dollars uh, working. And I had worked with one of those in college. And actually... It, you know, I'd worked with it before Steve Jobs had took it, taken over next. So it was a German company. And I just remember being so impressed with how fast it would render. <laughs> so this yeah. launched back in the 90s with a yes. $10,000 price tag. <laughs> price tag, yeah. Wow, and I had goodness. one at college. <laughs> And it ran a whole 25 megahertz processor. So you know that thing was rendering fast. For the 90s. Yeah. That was yeah. pretty fast. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I also had, um, of course, uh, an Amiga video toaster and, and all that stuff, too. <laughs> <Love> <laughs> but I also, you know, I do have, um, I don't have the, the next cube, but I do have a, a working beautifully Power Mac G4 cube in my collection. That's runs Debian. Nice. Oh, I love it. Up. it was my entertainment PC for a while in the living room. <laughs> and it was inspired by the next cube. And actually, boy, this, this was a hard one, Ryan, because there are so many computers I want. So. <laughs> I, I knew it would be tough for you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I just kind of chose my top ones. But the next one on the list would be the Cray XMP supercomputer from 1982, oh which gosh. was a huge, yeah. beautifully designed cylindrical supercomputer that you could actually walk into the center of. And it's one of my and one of my favorite movies of all time was rendered on it. The Last Starfighter. <laughs> nice. You would have to move a lot of your penguins in the background yes. in order to fit that into your house. Yeah, definitely. To give you a little background, I have several hundred computers in this is my official computer room, but I have several hundred more in the garage. In storage. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> several hundred. Several, I was yes. going to say, did she say several hundred? What hundred, do you, where, yeah. how do you store them all? <laughs> I know it's That's hard. Insane. I'm, I need to redo my computer room here. I'm going to actually you, be putting but, up uh, shelves and stuff, but. <laughs> are, are they all accessible? Like, do you, do, can yeah. you, I mean, are they all accessible or are they like heavily stored like in boxes and stuff? Oh, okay. So the ones in here, I have them, many of the older ones hooked up to KVM switches. Uh-huh. So that I can still fire them up and use them. And uh, some of them will have their own keyboards and, and mice, but uh, quite a few of them are on their own KVM switches. And the ones in the garage are in storage. They're in plastic bins, uh, very organized. I'm very OCD. <laughs> so they're very organized. And on uh, you, you have to be organized racks. in order to have that many so hundreds. hundred computers <laughs> yeah. around. Yes. Yeah, otherwise, it'd just be a, like a nightmare. <laughs> but, yes. I'm so jealous but, thinking of what if I kept all of those computers over the years I had. Right? You know? I kept yeah. some of the processors sitting on the shelf, like the IBM Blue Lightning and some of my original AMD processors. But that was about as much space as my wife would give me for uh, yeah. storing the older ones. Well, speaking of some of my, my pride and joy treasures in here are my dual processor deck alpha. Nice. It was, it was the first 64-bit machines, yeah. and that was my nice. render workstation. It's... It's um, 
can't quite see it in this shot. It's next to my my companion cube. <laughs> but, <laughs> I love but that it's, too. It's, it's on on wheels, and it's uh, um, like the the size of a a, a coffee table. <laughs> and I have some SGI machines back there. I've got some Commodores, uh, Sun workstations. So what do you do with the retro components? Obviously, running stuff on them is pretty slow compared to a computer today, right? So is it more of just nostalgia for you, or do you actually get work done on them sometimes? Um, Actually, believe it or not, sometimes I do get work done. That's awesome. That deck alpha I can still use for rendering. In fact, it's just been a few years ago that you could you know, rent a deck alpha for rendering. They were still being used in the industry for rendering. Wow. <laughs> Not anymore, but right. it, it, it's, it took a long time before them to, they, they died because of the so powerful, you know, at the time, 500 megahertz in the, in the mid nineties at 64 bit, yeah. you know, <laughs> that, that, that was fire. A, yeah. yeah. That was fire. Two processors, 128 gigs of Ram and uh, like four full height SCSI drives. So yeah. our patrons are going nuts over your collection, Jill. They're all oh. in awe and jealous. But one is asking if you're considering ever op- opening Jill Bryant's Museum of Computing. And I, I like this idea. Oh, I've, you know, everyone tells me that. And I would love to someday. I mean, that's when everyone comes into this computer room. They, they always, they're always very impressed. And what's kind of cool is I do have some computers at the, the um, local uh, computer history museum does not have so at some point i'll probably donate them but probably not for a very long time <laughs> I love it. Yeah. they're your babies <laughs> yeah they're my babies and uh yeah so the other gosh the other computer i've been wanting is the commodore pet i have several commodores including the vic 20 and 64 but not the pet so that's yeah they're very 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 expensive as well and one of the things I do with my collection um, is that a lot of the vintage computer collectors don't do because they're not necessarily Linux enthusiasts is getting, trying to get Linux to run on everything. Nice. Wow. So that's the thing I have. I have Linux. I have a Mac classic uh, back there and I've got Linux on that. And of course, all my, my deck equipment runs Linux, SGI, you know, they were all, the SGI machines were running Unix and I went and put Linux on that. But a lot of the rare computers that, that just were made for windows, you know, I've, I've tried to get Linux on and, and most of them I've been pretty successful with. So I'm just curious if you didn't run Linux, let's say it didn't exist and it was a sad, sad world. Would you be yeah. a Mac person? No, no, <laughs> no. Can, can we go back for just a second? I'm sorry. To dig you, it. It just, it's <laughs> very rare. It's very rare that we have the opportunity to talk to somebody who's into, uh, in, into retro hardware. So I have to ask you, did you say you have a deck system? Yes. Have yes. you read, have you, uh, have you read any of Kevin Mitnick's stuff? Oh yes, yes, yes. So that was his early days, right? I mean, that yeah. was his heyday was Dex, and so like, I, I, it would, it, it would be so interesting. I mean, that is literally what inspired mm-hmm. the entire 1986, uh, essentially ban on hacking. Yeah, um, was de- was Dex and the things that were perpetuated back back in the in the in the in the, mm-hmm. in the early 90s. I mean, this is fascinating. And you have one of these machines, and it's functional. Yes. <laughs> Do you hack on it, Jill? Tell us yes. the truth. Yes. <laughs> <I have. laughs> of course she does. <laughs> nice. That's awesome. 
Yeah, in fact, it, it's it's uh, dual booting uh, Debian, CentOS, and I have Windows NT 4.0 because back in the day with animation software, that's that's how we did. You know, some of them only worked on NT, but uh, I haven't booted that partition in a long time. It's it's mostly Debian and Linux <laughs> all the way. Nice. I love it. <laughs> So we're we're gonna uh, as, as much as I don't want to to leave this subject, we're gonna pivot away <laughs> to a little bit uh, to uh, to talk about like what Linux needs because you you're using Linux on so many different types of hardware, yes. and so you've you've experienced quite a bit in terms of like you know usability and experience for Linux. So I'm curious, what needs to happen in your opinion to increase like the market share of Linux on the desktop for the majority of people? Yeah, and that was a really good question, Michael, that we we're all trying to figure out <laughs> here yeah, in the, true, in the community. Um, my idea was selling last laptops and desktop computers with Linux pre-installed is really a great start. Mm-hmm. Um, Linux distributions are starting to see the benefit of selling branded laptops and computers, not only in marketing and helping to brand their distros, but monetary benefits as well. And this of co- includes, of course, the Pine Book with Debian, System76 with Pop! OS, the KDE Slimbook with KV- KDE, the Dell XPS Developer Edition with Ubuntu, and now the newly introduced Lenovo ThinkPad laptops with Fedora. And the reason why this is so important is marketing hardware with open source sof- software installed to the average consumer is a lot easier than just marketing the ideals and use of free software. You know, if it's a pretty computer with all the bells and whistles and bling bling at a reasonable price and the software doesn't require a lot of work to use, it is easier to market Linux. You know, kind of like Google did with the Chromebook. Very true. We're going to be talking about the Fedora laptop later in the show, but I I agree with you that this move that you're seeing from Manjaro, from multiple vendors, of course, System76 and Pop! OS and that are getting hardware out there. I think this is one of the most critical steps to really continuing the growth of Linux. And I'm so happy to see it out there and the popularity of the pine book alone. Let's not forget that one out there. (laughs) It's absolutely amazing seeing all this hardware come out. And I think that's really a start of something big. If we as a community, of course, come around and make sure that we support them, right. When we're out there for looking for a new laptop and things, it is cheaper to go out on eBay and buy a used one. But if you can afford it, you know, <laughs> supporting one with Linux on it from the start is a, a big help, I think, to start letting companies like Dell and others realize, hey, there's a market here and these people are willing to purchase these machines. Yes. Yeah. And I think it's that's a great Definitely. point. And I think that they... that. It's it's awesome that all these companies are doing it, and there are so many people who are interested in getting hardware that's running Linux by default. And I think that just it's it's a it's a huge potential. And I'm glad that the other companies, even like we'll talk about it later, but Canonical is starting to work on that more too. And I think that is fantastic as well because like so, there's so many variables that to, in order to get Linux to be mainstream, that has to be one of the biggest ones. So I'm glad that people are doing yeah. it. I've been craving for that System76 Lumiere Pro. (laughs) (laughs) Haven't we all? Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Rumor is you're a huge Star Wars fan, so we would like you to weigh in with the ranking. I do love love Star Wars, but no, uh, Star Trek. I think you (laughs) read that wrong. Yeah, you read. (laughs) Isn't the same thing? Oh, my God. (laughs) The same thing? Our show just got canceled. Wow. Wow. One science fiction, one science fantasy. Oh. Yeah, there you go. 
<laughs> what's the uh, what's the third one? It's Star Trek, Star Wars, and Firefly. Firefly. No. Babylon Five. No. Babylon Battlestar Galactica. No. Yeah. What? Battlestar Galactica. That when I think happy. when I think of it, you guys would be like, "Oh yeah, of course." It's the other Star one. Stargate. Stargate. Oh, oh yeah, yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. Stargate yeah, is awesome that was too. Huge. Yeah, I like Stargate. <laughs> Jill, the rumor is that you're a huge Trekkie, and that's a code for somebody who watches Star Trek, which I now know. Uh, we would love to hear. We'd love to have you. We would love to hear the ranking of the new Star Trek TV series. What's your favorite? What's your least favorite? Um, and and then I'll add this on as a person who has like I've watched the Star Wars movie that came out in two thousand or Star Star Trek movie that came wow. out in two thousand nine. Absolutely loved it. Nice. I watched uh, Discovery. I thought it was okay. I watched Picard. I thought it was fantastic. So I'm interested. I think I have the ability to be a good Star Trek fan. I just don't know where to start. So I'll ask, in addition to ranking them, (laughs) tell me where I should start as a person who knows nothing about the Star Wars, Star Trek, Starcraft, Star whatever world. Starcraft. First of all, (laughs) here, let's do it twice. Help me. (laughs) There There we go. So first of all, it would be Star Trek classic. I grew up with it. I started going to conventions because of it and without out it, none of the others would exist. You know, I I started watching it in the early seventies. So, and going to the two conventions in the, in the mid seventies. So it's, you know, without it, there wouldn't be, have been another generation. (laughs) And second, of course, is Star Trek, the next generation. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. And that started when I was a junior high in high school. So it was part of growing up as well. And the third is Enterprise. (laughs) Jill is ranking perfect right now. You agree with this, Ryan? Yes, absolutely. 100%. She has nailed it. I mean, it's all right. It's all right. It's all right. And, if, my, um, if Ryan agrees with it and 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 Michael disagrees with it, I know we're in the right. Uh, uh, right that's, 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 exactly. That is not how this works. <laughs> that's exactly yeah. how this works. And uh, fourth is D- Deep Space Nine. That's a good one. Yep. Fifth is Voyager. By the way, I do dearly love Voyager as well. There just were more dead episodes. So yeah. that's, that's why it's in fifth. But yeah, I series. love Captain uh-huh. Janeway. <laughs> I do love Captain Janeway. Um, and sixth would be Discovery. I love Discovery. Yeah. I, 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 it is growing on me. It is growing on me. So, you know, some of these were hard for me to rank. Like, for instance, where do I put Picard? I, I still haven't quite figured that one out yet. Cause to me, it's a continuation of the, the stories from next gen. Yeah. But it's, 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 it has a different tone. Yes. Definitely. So, yeah. I'm trying to figure that one out. But, the animated series to me is a continuation of Trek classic because mm-hmm. a lot of, a lot of the uh, stories did continue in the animated. There's even yeah. some, I, some people would say that some of the yeah. stuff in the animation ser- animated series has, uh, is, is in Canon. Like you going back yes. to see Spock's like history when he was a kid and how he got, how he be- decided exactly. to become part of Starfleet and everything. Yeah. In fact, some of the original series episodes that didn't get aired were in the animated. Mm-hmm. So, it's amazing how yeah. that show and the movies all still to this day give me that same feeling of, I don't know, just all the great feelings that sci-fi can have of yeah. getting involved emotionally. And like I was watching Wrath of Khan yesterday oh, and it still is just so good. I mean, yes. <laughs> the lines in there, I actually use some of that stuff in management, yes. believe it or not, in leadership and things like the no lose 
situation. Scenario. And awesome, you know, Ryan. it's just, oh, it's so good. Yeah, I don't like to lose. Right. I, like yes. I think I, sh- I actually like I'm a big fan of Star Trek. I mean, everybody. I mean, we know we all know that like Star Trek is the best series that's ever made. But uh, I actually mm-hmm. am not necessarily like my favorite is Deep Space Nine. And it's yes. because of a different it's a different style. It's my it's my style of a Star Trek. And I love the fact that Star Trek has so many different styles of making exactly. the different shows. So no matter Up what, it's still your whatever you like is their favorite. It's still like no matter what, it's 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 a valid choice because there are so many different variables and styles yeah. of making it. So although Jill's so ranking much. is perfect, so much. Well, I mean, I mean, I I, I, have- I I agree with her first choice of having like the the classic one being there because it is it's campy, but it also that's what makes yeah. it fun, and it mm-hmm. also is the origination of the entire franchise. So it's a fa- it's yeah. a totally valid thing. I would just put Deep Space Nine up a little bit higher. But You're wrong, fun. but yeah. that's cute. So, Go on, Noah. What were you going to? Well, here's here's my my. <laughs> question is everybody else literally everybody else i've ever talked to does not seem to recommend deep space nine so michael i guess my question to you is this what in specific about deep space nine is it that you like i mean is it there a tremendous amount of scenes are there apple stools that are available in this wow. what is it that draws? wow there are a lot of scenes because that's how tv works so i i get what you were trying to go with with the obs thing but still uh the the deep space nine is my favorite because of the depth and the character development and how how like it's a you know how every yeah the most of the shows are like seven years long like enterprise was the exception but like the most of them like next generation d space nine voyager were all seven years but the d space nine story actually involves the entire seven years and mm-hmm. I love that as a as a consumer of media, my type of I love the episodic structure of so they having this like no not episodic I, I'm sure if it's what it's but the series structure of having like the individual sh- episodes that are watchable on, on their own, but also having a huge story arc, and that's yeah, what Day Space Nine has. Say- yeah. yeah, the beautiful story arc. And that's one of my favorite things about DS9. And yeah, for me, it, it is hard to rank these because I do love Deep Space Nine as well. Yeah. And uh, and yeah, I, I do agree that great. Enterprise is a really underrated. So I like the fact it that is. you put it up so high because uh, <laughs> it is quite good. I, I, I wish the showrunners weren't so, you know, uh, blind to what they were supposed to be making. But the the acting, like even with the bad writing. Like, because some of the parts, yeah. some of the pieces of the show were so poorly written that you kind of go like, how is this going to work? And then the actors, <laughs> like, they they carry it, it so well. Like, even yeah. you, you hear what they're saying is so ridiculous. In the, and, like, if you just read it off writing, you're like, that's <laughs> silly. And But you watch them doing it, and it's like, that, I get why they chose these people, because it was a solid decision for the acting. I part. knew I should have put oh. a Star Trek question in here. Michael will never stop. I w- I'll, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll will st- I won't stop. Because- I'm learning. Right, you're, exactly. You're getting me drawn into. I mean, this yeah. is the. And again, I'm going to make a plug. So, Jill, I've had this plan for four and a half years. I pitched it to everybody, including Ryan and Michael, but it never goes anywhere. We, I no, we've already Star- said yes, but you keep going. Yeah, like, well, I need to schedule on my time because I don't have enough time. Do yeah, we need well, to do exactly. it. And I think right. we also should have Jill, you know, participate we in absolutely it. We absolutely yeah. have to have Jill. It has absolutely. to be Jill. So, we Jill, want to do like a up. mini series on. Star Trek, right? Like oh, any that would podcast. Be right. awesome. yeah. We're gonna get uh, we're gonna get it's yeah. gonna be for people that that want that know that they need it's their cultural duty who live in a tech sphere <laughs> to understand Star Trek but don't understand Meaning Star all Trek. Humans. So just it's right, like right. Uh, you know, it's like Elpic, it's like the Elpic series, except for people it's for Star Trek instead of Linux. Awesome. It's certified certified in Star Trek. In fact, we we can even have like a little certificate. Oh yeah, you get a certificate <laughs> if you once yeah. you get through the whole mini podcast, right? Uh, like you've graduated, you're now a normal human being. 
Oh, well, I do actually also have a bit of, bit of Star Trek cred outside of just being a fan. Oh, really? Um, oh, um, I've worked. This for, we have to hear. I've worked for Creation Entertainment, who runs the Star Trek conventions, and I used to do a lot of camera work and audio setup work for the actors on the stage. That and, is awesome. Um, Serious? Then, yeah, very, very, very involved. In fact, um, I've. I've I've got some original. I got a one one of my tribbles is one of the originals from the the set in the sixties, and what? I have a what? book that that I'm I'm in one of Gene Ronberry's biographies. It's <laughs> oh, awesome! Awesome! That's crazy. But I, I wasn't going to. Okay, bring so you're hosting up, but... the Star Trek podcast, and we will be guests. <laughs> yeah, we'll be guests. Yeah, we, we'll be guests. Exactly. We were like, we're, we're not. We're not going. We just wanted to offer it to you, be a part of it. We're not going to force yeah. you. Now, now we're going to have to now, force now you we, to. Now we're going to kidnap you, and it's it's your job. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, in fact, uh, we had a um, the very first. Uh, oh, I'm sorry, Michael. I'm no, go go ahead for sure. Interrupt him. It's okay. Uh, yeah, <laughs> in- interrupt me as much as you want. Everybody else does. Yeah. We had. Um, uh, through creation entertainment um, and uh, with Dr. Ben Rosenthal, who's one of the, the top three at creation. Uh, we had the first ever Star Trek store here in the South Bay in uh, Los Angeles in uh, 1992 through 93 at the, you know, the, the heyday of next gen. And so we were the first store that only sold Star Trek items is there was only four of us employees, but I was what he called his number one. <laughs> <laughs> nice <laughs> and he hired me first <laughs> love, it. So. love it it's amazing yeah i i think we should we should we should stay a little bit on i mean we're gonna little move off yeah. off the star trek but i want to stay a little bit longer so uh <laughs> noah earlier mentioned something that i think we should kind of go back to so we're, we're all rather disappointed in our friend noah here because he's never Aww. experienced the awesomeness that is being a trekkie and he understands yeah. that though so he's he's decided that he's seen the area of his of his ways and is willing to change this horrible mistake Thank goodness and and it, he wants to become a a trekkie and understand what it is about so as for a fellow trekkie what do you think that he should he should use to start his you know fandom into the star trek world definitely next gen and the reason I'm saying that is Thank because you. of the amazing stories, the great characters, incredible acting. And who could say no to the incredible poetic prose of Patrick Stewart? Exactly. <laughs> That's very true. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody's better than Bullethead. All right. So yeah. I know what I'm doing this weekend. <laughs> yeah. I actually would. I would agree. Like, I love uh, Deep Space Nine, and I would put it as my most favorite. <laughs> but as far as getting into Star Trek, absolutely has to be next gen because it's – I mean, you yeah. have Patrick yeah. Stewart, and, you know, you just have to – That's but there's there, no there is the, the beard, the Riker beard factor in next yes. gen. So you have to keep in mind that while we tell you to start with next gen, you're going to have to really make it through yes. until you see Riker <laughs> with a beard and then it gets insanely good. So yeah. it's good. And then Riker gets a beard. Yes. It's insanely good. Yeah. Se- season yeah. one is, is where he doesn't have a beard, but it's still a, it's still a very good show. <laughs> then season two, all of a sudden he has a beard and becomes a fantastic show. And it, it's kind of this. What's funny about the way that Star Trek has this is they there's obviously no plan to this, but it kind of seems like it does work like this, where for some reason the pivot of the shows involve hair for some for well, some uh, kind. Yes. So like Deep Space Nine, the the, the show is really good, <laughs> but it gets better when Cisco <laughs> shaves his head. So it's like, what? <laughs> why does it? Why is this working like that? But it seems to something about hair. 
<laughs> get more confident, you know? Yeah. And and Noah will learn about the importance of Darmok and Jalad at Tanagra. <laughs> yes. Is this English? One day that will make sense. Not really, but you'll get it later. <laughs> okay. All right. So bringing it back to Linux. So Jill, you're part of some fantastic shows. They're so good. In fact, they should be part of Destination Linux. Uh, they're on the LGC network, <laughs> which is amazing. Tell our audience where, because I know they're going to be wanting to hunt you down after this interview, where they <laughs> mm-hmm. can hear more from you. Okay, so I can be heard on the weekly Linux news show, Linux Weekly Daily Wednesday, or LWW for short. I love that play name. on words. Oh, it's such a ridiculous name. I love it. I know. That's why we kept it. So, And I co-host that show with Ben Stone and Pedro Mateus, of course, at the Linux Gamecast Network at linuxgamecast.com. And I do lots of game streams on LGC also where we test alpha, beta, and new Linux native games on Steam. And uh, we also test uh, Windows games using Proton or Lutris. Nice. And um, I'm actually the Linux Gamecast uh, community organizer. And, and Ben gave me the name, the Moralzar. <laughs> That's what he put on the website. I'm the Moralzar. I like that. That's great. <laughs> and I'm also on Big Daddy Linux Live European Edition every month. <laughs> very cool so very those cool. are all the places we can hunt you down on and yes. michael can you please do the venstone uh impersonation? well i was i mean that's kind of, i wouldn't it's not i wouldn't call it a personation i would call it spot on but uh <laughs> <so>. <laughs> this is gonna be awesome there's there's one of the things i love about the show is that it Vin, Vin always has like he has this really baritone voice and it's all it's just fun to listen to and then every once in a while he just kind of makes I, every time i say his name i can't say it without doing it that way so it's always like Vin Stone. <laughs> and awesome. Nailed there, it. I don't know. I just like I just like doing it. <laughs> the man with the most incredible voice, indeed. Aww. Yeah, it is. It is. It's impressive. <laughs> he's amazing. He's an audio engineer, an amazing podcaster. He's he's done, um, you know, voice acting. He works at radio stations. He's he's amazing, and he doesn't just has an awesome network that I'm so proud to be a part of, and I've learned so much from him. With the challenging issues that are going on today in the world, it's great to have somebody as excited, passionate, and happy as you are to lift everybody's spirits up. So thank you so much for all of the work that you do and continue to do. We appreciate it in the Linux community and for coming on the show today. We'll get you back soon. Oh, thank you so much. It's such an honor. I love doing this and love being here with you guys. (laughs) We love having you. So we're going to jump to the news, and Ubuntu 20.04 has is, is now out, and every, basically everybody knows that. Uh, it's been out, you know, we talked about it on Front Page Linux. We put an article out there. Well, I put an article out there. I'm not promoting myself again. That would be ridiculous. But we also we did cover it. We also covered it on episode 168 of Destination Linux. So if you want to check out the details about all of that stuff, we didn't want to talk about all those details because we already discussed it previously. But we did want to talk about some things, that, like some secret bits that Martin Wimpress revealed on uh, Twitter, and also also apparently hid in the manual trying to hide it from ryan but ryan read a manual once so we did get the information mm-hmm. no so i read the tweet because i don't touch manuals but i'm oh, quite okay. certain this is why we didn't know about these secret features as he hid it in the manual right that that does make sense but let's I'll take a look at him. some of these 
And uh, Ubuntu now defaults to checking the integrity of the medium in use when booting the live sessions. This is really cool because it enables this. They they did it because it it, it shows like if there's a corrupted download of the installation media, uh, or it will tell you that it will stop because it, we won't go through the process of having trying to go in the install and all of a sudden it just kind of stops and doesn't give you a message. Why now? It, it, you know, preempts that so you know if you got your installation media has successfully downloaded or not, which is a really cool idea. Uh, starting with Ubuntu 2004 LTS, also it's now possible to obtain a certified device experience by installing the general release of Ubuntu. Now, this is really cool because it relates to having like hardware support and hardware certification and stuff like that. And they also mention that they have Dell, HP, and Lenovo as partners that are committed to working with them to have this hardware certified uh, platform that they're going to be doing. And they've already they've already have a list of the different like certified hardware that they've had for a long time. And and they've they've put there's a, quite a few a couple hundred or so different devices that are on this list, but it hasn't been updated that frequently. And now right. this, but this partnership has it to be, you know, you could, they could skyrocket that and accelerate it to, which I think I'm super excited about that. I like that. They have a lot of the used devices cover, you know, the older devices on there, but this partnership seems like they're going to now start working with these vendors on a lot of the newer stuff as well. And hopefully mm-hmm. they add that to the list you know, it's not the best looking list out there and I think it could probably be organized better, but I think this is such an important part of what we were talking about earlier. Uh, if you want to grow Linux, you got to have those hardware partners in there. They've got three amazing partners here, obviously Dell, HP, and Lenovo that make fantastic laptops. So hopefully some of the newer stuff as well is going to be included in that and have a, a place so people can easily go and find out, all right, I'm in the market for a laptop which ones are certified so that I can pick one up with Ubuntu and know I'm going to have support right out of the box. Right. Awesome. This is really good news because like we, the, the, you're right. The list isn't the best looking list. It's not like the destinationlinux.org slash picks list, which is fantastic. Uh, but this is good that they're <laughs> doing it because the certification of the hardware is like we talked about earlier. And like Jill mentioned is one of the key factors of getting more people on Linux. So it's fantastic that they're doing it. And also, together with the libf print project, that is just rolls off the tongue, they've improved the back end and, and the UI, uh, making it possible for the hardware vendors to support new biometric devices easily, which is very, very interesting. And I assume this is talking about like fingerprint renters and stuff like that. So this is a common thing in the videos that I do, Michael, with the fingerprint readers that is one of the parts where I'm like, everything works in Linux on this laptop. <laughs> except the fingerprint reader. Yep. So I'm very excited that they are finally working on getting this integrated. Now, a lot of people will leave comments, who cares about fingerprint readers? I don't want fingerprint readers and things like that. But the fact is you buy a machine. Some people want to utilize that to get into the machine. And it's a feature not having it be able to work when you're talking to an audience that may not be in Linux. And you're saying, well, does everything work if I buy this laptop and install Linux in it? Yeah, everything but the fingerprint reader. So I'm glad they're doing work in this area because it's been a weak spot for a while. Yeah, that is very cool. And uh, there's also another weak spot that they've actually done a lot of improvements for, and that's the fi- fractional scaling. So like they've had mm-hmm. the improvements for the fractional scaling that you know used to be only could do you know 100% to 200%, and that was not very helpful in terms of like high DPI because depending on your hardware, you could need like point you know 1.75 percent or whatever like that instead rather or times rather than doing the full two 200 percent and now they have a toggle that you can go into the display settings and just turn it on and it gives you the options to do 100 percent 125 percent 150 percent 175 percent and then also 200 percent which is a very As someone nice with two 2k monitors 
Thank you for that. Yes. Thank goodness. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Let and me ask you this: as as in in response to the including fingerprint reading, I would ask, would any of you actually use a fingerprint scanner to authenticate into your computer? Or are we just happy that if somebody wants to do that, they can? Because I've always been a little concerned about the actual security behind those fingerprint scanners. Well, there's a lot of proprietary hardware and software that goes into a lot of those, which is probably why we haven't seen the Linux support for some of the fingerprints. Some of them work out of the box, but a lot of them don't. And some of them you have to do weird things like install Windows first, enable the fingerprint reader, have it capture all your fingerprint readers. Then you can install Linux and it will work with the fingerprint reader. There's all kinds of weird things out there. Hopefully they will work it out. But personally, will I use it? No. But I think this is more for just other people out there who may not be as concerned about their fingerprint being recorded and sent off yeah, it's government. A- it's an interesting and being question. put in jail randomly. That's, maybe, oh, did I go too far? Oh, let me let me I, take my aluminum foil hat off. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if it's that that big of an issue, but I I personally don't do it because I don't think it saves that much time. And I've actually done some testing where you know, like it, it's a long time ago that it took a long time when I had a laptop that did have fingerprint reader. It took so long to actually get it to work. I could have typed the password in like 50 times prior. So it's like, is it saving them at that much effort? Not really. So. I don't see a reason, but I mean, I understand that it's it's very important for the platform to have it so that people who do want to use it can. And I think some other cool features here, Michael, are Feral Interactive's game mode performance tool yes. being installed by default. This is, is really cool. cool. Yeah, you know? this is awesome. Yeah, yeah, I didn't expect them to do that kind of thing, but that is pretty cool to see that that by default. Yeah. Now, Jill, is this something you use regularly? Do you go and install the Feral Interactive game mode tool yeah. on your own? Yeah. Because nice. uh, because I like that it um, it adjusts the CPU governor to performance when you launch the game, so you don't have to have that setting on by default on your computer. It just it just uh, it starts up when you start up game mode with the the game. Very yeah, cool. and, uh, that that's really beneficial. Yeah, and I think that it's it's a pretty really cool idea that they're doing it, and I also think it's something really really cool that they're also doing that is a sep- it's it's related to Z, uh, ZFS. Uh, but they have this thing called ZSys, which is their own integration tool between ZFS and Ubuntu. So when users can install or up- update their system, the Z- ZSYS or ZSys will take an automatic snapshot, enabling users to roll back, which is Love fantastic. This. Yeah, this is something Love we've been talking about. So like, they, when they announced they were going to do support for ZFS, it was like the, this is the number one thing people were going, I hope this is I'm, why I'm they're sorry. doing it. I'm sorry, huh? this, this ZSys. So this is based on which file? Oh, ButterFS. Butter, 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 Butter Butter right. right. okay. yeah, yeah, right. yeah, yeah, ButterFS totally yeah, yeah. has the ability yeah. to do... We're joking, by the way, for anybody listening. Yeah. They, uh, Noah's a huge fan of ButterFS. He brings it up constantly. <laughs> so this is actually ZFS-based. <laughs> all, all my friends use ButterFS. Right. Yeah, best for, the best. for sure. Yeah. Uh, but seriously, though, uh, ZFS is used in this. And this is really cool because the snapshots are available in the Grub menu when you boot your system. If there's something that goes wrong, you can just get switch back to the previous snapshot, which is fantastic. And it's one of the main things that we were excited about when they did announce ZFS support. And I, that's one of the things that I think that every distribution should offer. And that's one of the main values that ButterFS offered for OpenSUSE because it was like the first Linux distribution that had snapshots like that where you knew that if something went bad, it didn't really matter. Yeah. And that's awesome. And also, finally, we, we they gave us the code name for the 2010 release <laughs> of Ubuntu. And this it made is, me happy. It is one of the best. <laughs> yeah, it's one of the best that they have ever done. 
Groovy Gorilla is such a good one. Imagine the wallpaper, how awesome that wallpaper is going to be for Groovy Gorilla. I mean, there's so much creativity options there for that name. I think it's fantastic. I do want to go back to Fingerprint Reader because one of our patrons, Jacob, mentions, I want a fingerprint as a multi-factor thing requiring fingerprint TOTP plus a password would be awesome. So there oh, you go. I think there are people so out there. Here's, so I, I can speak to that. So I, I, I agree with that to an extent. I agree with it for presence detection. If you want to have a fingerprint reader just to prove that somebody's there, that's fine. The I have a problem anytime it tries to distinguish one fingerprint to the other. And the reason I have a problem with that is because it's so easily defeated. So if you want to use it for presence detection, I think that's great. Uh, anything more than that, I think there's probably better tools to get that done. Like when you come over to my house and I get out my special investigative kit and grab the glass that you touched and steal your fingerprint and then go up to your computer and unlock it. Or, or when I go to self and your computer's unlocked anyway, so I just hack into it. Or like you or like you just push your fingerprint on the computer like 60, 60 or 70 times and it just unlocks it. Yeah, uh, I got you. It, it eventually just gives up and says, okay, cool. Yeah, eventually just gives up and lets you in. But it, it's not, I mean, that's exaggerating a little bit, but not much. But yeah, yeah. but it eventually gives up and just says, "Yeah, that's groovy." <laughs> gorilla. And you know what's funny I, is that I, I I think this is maybe a factor of like you know like all the names were they were good but they were not fun. Like Disco Dingo was a fun name. I like Disco Dingo, but it was like uh, very rare that they did one that was actually fun. And then all of a sudden, and this might be just a conspiracy, but all of a sudden Martin Wimpress becomes the head of the d- desktop team, and then now they have really good names. Maybe just maybe. <laughs> It's a suggestion. Wow. That is a conspiracy theory right? for sure. It, I was so happy and have noticed while testing Ubuntu 2004 that it has FFmpeg support for GPU hardware acceleration pre-compiled with NVIDIA's NVENC and the Video Acceleration API, otherwise known as VAPI, for NVIDIA and AMD GPUs and Intel CPUs. This is really a welcome addition and means you don't have to compile GPU hardware acceleration and FFmpeg for outputting from OBS, video editors, and other applications. And this will help productivity by offloading work from the CPU and creating files that both render faster and are smaller in size. Yeah, Yeah, that's a really good point. VAPI is one of those things where NVENC has always been pretty easy to get working in OBS, you know, but... Vappy's kind of been a pain and I'm so happy that they're kind of including it in there. And I'm hoping it's just basically you go into OBS and choose it now and don't have to go through any, you know, magical yeah. incantations of terminal. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's really awesome that they have it in there. If you're a Fedora fan and I certainly am, then you have some, have something to be excited about with the latest release of Fedora 32. Now Fedora 32 has some welcome changes like, early OOM. It will not it will not be enabled by default, but it creates a stability by allowing the system to recover from out-of-memory situations sooner. It also features GNOME 3.36 with all of its new features, and it adds a Do Not Disturb button for the notifications, improved setup for parental controls and virtualization, along with tweaks to the settings. Now, perhaps my favorite thing that I'm excited about is the relationship between Fedora and Lenovo, making making Fedora-based laptops. You can read more about it in the link we'll have in the show notes from Fedora Magazine. But beginning with the ThinkPad P1 Gen 2, the ThinkPad P53, and the X1 Generation 8 laptops, laptops will ship with software exclusively from the official Mm -hmm. Fedora repos. Lots of packaging updates, including Python, Ruby, and more. And if you're wondering how Ubuntu 2004 and Fedora 32 compare in performance, check out Pharonix, where he's pitted the two against each other with, uh, with benchmarks. Now, I will tell you, having set up a uh, uh, an Ubuntu 
system on the latest gen generation eight X one carbon that um, Fedora uh, runs out of the box with no problems. If you're going to use Ubuntu, you have to use 20 or 04 or later, or the Intel wireless card uh, doesn't have support inside of the kernel. So the kernel ships with 1804, at least as of about three and a half weeks ago, um, the latest kernel that was available on that LTS didn't work out of the box with the, with the latest X1 Carbon. And so again, uh, if you're looking for a, to purchase a new laptop, again, this is probably one of those times when you want to be a little bit further down the road is in, in terms of rolling releases and Fedora 32 meets that in spades. Looking at all of the mean, uh, meet all of the numbers, it showed that 2% of performance improvements from Ubuntu over Fedora. This is referencing the Pharonix article. The machine learning and Python categories, Ubuntu had better scores overall. Web browser and GIMP performance also were taken by Ubuntu, but Fedora did a better job in CPU benchmarks and code compilations, as well as GPU rendering and tools like raw therapy benchmarks. Now, I would submit to you that the fact that Red Hat is, is positioning Fedora to ship by default um, on a lot of these ThinkPad systems so that you can purchase a system pre-installed with Fedora and the discontinuation of a couple of their other operating systems that were previously in the Red Hat family, I, I suspect Red Hat is starting to position Fedora to be more of a enterprise work operating system rather than kind of a beta testing for Red Hat. And I'm excited to see that happen because I think that probably fits a lot better um, with what the Fedora community is using. You walk around Red Hat, which you find is a lot of the employees are using Red Hat on their, or excuse me, Fedora on their laptops as their desktop operating system day-to-day driver. So I think it fits really well into business. And I think I'm happy to see Red Hat finally kind of restructure themselves in at least the beginning stages for supporting that in a business environment. Yeah, I think this is like an about time for me kind of article. I'm so happy to see that they are putting Fedora on having a partnership with Lenovo and the ThinkPad, which is one of the most popular laptop lines out there, probably one of the most recommended. And having that partnership out there with the official Fedora installation, and they're not putting all of the proprietary crap. When you go get a laptop to repurpose it for Linux, like a new Dell, new Lenovo that has Windows on it, all the bloatware junk that's included on top of it, the antivirus scanner that you want to get rid of immediately because it's probably McAfee or some other, in my opinion, junky virus scanner. Um, but, you know, this is just going to come with the open source software. You get Fedora, the open source software, none of the bloat. This is something certainly for a business. You can send it out to uh, the folks on your team and they can start working near immediately without having to do tons of sysadmin compilations and, and special setups just for your business where you're removing all that stuff out it's just amazing all the way around i was a little surprised with fedora being a little semi-rolling release that it didn't do better in some of the categories with its scoring in you know web browsing get performance machine learning areas especially for enterprise Uh, they did of course not surprisingly do better in some of the cpu benchmarks and things and gpu rendering and that's likely because later kernels going to have more of the hardware enablement in there later Mesa. Uh, and so obviously I think they need to do some work on performance and if they want to cater at all to your regular desktop users, which I don't know if that's really in Fedora's, if that's something Fedora is super interested in or if it's just kind of one of those things that happens as a result of focusing on enterprise. I'm not sure. Yeah, I like I like what Fedora's doing, and I do like the fact that they're doing this with Lenovo. It's a really good idea, to, especially to get like, ThinkPads 
sort of kind of back into the partnership with IBM because people might not know that IBM sold ThinkPads to Lenovo a long time ago. And now this is a wave since Red Hat is owned by IBM now. They're kind of doing a partnership back together, which I find kind of interesting in general. Uh, but also, I think that Fedora has a lot of, you know, it has a lot of potential to be what Noah's saying that he hopes that they're doing or thinks that they're doing. And I, I think that, that Red Hat needs to do something like that because they've basically positioned Fedora for many years, pretty much the entire existence of its, of its the platform or the operating system was to have it as an incubator for Red Hat Enterprise Linux, which kind of made it as a secondary, not really a focus and just let them do whatever they're doing. And then when they find something that they like, bring it into the to rail. And while that's fine in general, I think that it's kind of like wasting a, a lot of potential that they could have in positioning Fedora to be an even bigger player in the space. And I, and especially considering Red Hat is the, is such a huge company in terms of how much money they offer, they have, and the fact that they're backed by IBM now, like there's so much potential that Fedora could right. be that I think that having it positioned as an incubator is just kind of wasteful. So I hope that Noah's right. That's what they're doing because that's a ton of potential well, there. So, so let's, let's go back, right? They, they capture core OS, they capture uh CentOS, they reposition, uh, they reposition this entire ecosystem. So you have Red Hat on top, the thing that you pay for and works perfectly. You have the free version of Red Hat, which is CentOS, which is still officially supported by Red Hat in terms of community support. It's binarily equivalent to Red Hat. It's just literally the same code recompiled with the branding taken out of it. And now you have the, the, the one missing step of the market. All of these people that work at Red Hat and want to use Linux on the desktop, but the operating system that you ship as the standard corporate build is an enterprise uh, uh, software really designed more for containers and servers and, and, and those kinds of things, not really meant for day-to-day desktop computing. You have this community project, which is actually a fantastic daily driver for desktop, right. but the problem with using it, even in Red, even inside of Red Hat, is the support cycle is only six months. And it's it's a lot of let's face it, it's a lot of software that doesn't quite work right sometimes. Um, and so to restructure this a little bit and say, okay, now we have we've partnered with a manufacturer that makes all of the laptops that we're using already, which is the ThinkPad. And instead of having to hack around them, now we can work with the hardware manufacturer to make sure that everything's going to work right out of the box. In fact, we can just order these suckers right from from Lenovo, and they'll ship with our operating system running our software in a stable way. And now we just and now with the with the um, I forget, I can't think of the name, but the, the streams with the ability to do streams. Now we can choose. Do you want to be on the stable stream? Do you want to be on the, on the, on the bleeding edge stream? Where do you want to be? And we have the infrastructure and the ecosystem to be able to let you use a rolling operating system in a stable way. I mean, it's, it's the perf- perfect culmination of a Linux experience. And of course, brought to you all by Red Hat. I have a workstation that sits inside of my bedroom. It's my personal private, like it's, I don't use it for any work thing. It's just, it's my personal plate. It's my personal haven. And that has run Fedora from every version since version Fedora core one. And before that mm-hmm. red hat five, six and seven. So, um, and yeah, it's still running red hat or uh, Fedora. And yes, I will upgrade to Fedora 32 a couple weeks after it's been out and all the bugs have been worked out. Um, but yeah, I find it to be one of the, but best. you end up using Ubuntu for most of your machines. Yeah, but it's not by choice. It's really more of because that's what everybody else is using. And so that's what I need to be able to support. But if I had my choice, if I was just going to go live on an island, I would be using uh, Fedora for sure. Jill, what are your thoughts on Fedora? Yeah, so 
you know, listening to your really good discussion on it, I think Noah's right that the reason they chose Fedora on the laptop, as opposed, of course, to CentOS or Red Hat, is it, <laughs> it, it has a more forward-facing, you know, interface for the consumer. And but at the same time, they are positioning themselves in the in the AI world. Um, there's the the version of Fedora just that runs only containers. <laughs> right. And um, yeah, so I can see I, I do run it on uh, one of my I've ran it, uh, done some rendering on it before. On one of your always, 1900 computers. Yes. <laughs> and it was always very, very stable. And I can see why Red Hat you know, why they put Fedora on the Lenovo as opposed to a CentOS. I, I mean, I'm sorry, IBM as opposed to CentOS or, or Red Hat. You know, one of the issues yeah. I've always had with Fedora, I've always enjoyed running it. I've, there've been several times that I've put it on my machines and had a great experience is this, the, I'm not a huge user of, you know, GNOME. So I look for the spins and yeah. I feel like Ubuntu flavors have a really well laid out, structure in that you're going to get a very similar experience just with a different desktop environment in the different flavors. Whereas the spins on Fedora, I find it tended to have a lot of bugs and issues like your KDE mm-hmm. versions and things that made it not that Fedora experience you would be used to on the vanilla Fedora. That was my experience again with my hardware, which is generally more cutting edge. So take that for what it is. But that's been my problem with, you know, really backing and, and utilizing Fedora full time was that the quality of the spins just didn't seem to be there. Whereas in Ubuntu, those flavors are usually on point. Yeah, the, the spins yeah. are not official from Fedora. So they're all community, yeah. separate community things. Whereas with, um, with Canonical and Ubuntu, while technically also the same kind of thing, the, because they're official flavors, they have the infrastructure backing by Canonical. So while Canonical doesn't make the flavors, they do provide a lot of infrastructure for those flavors, whereas it seems Fedora kind of does more of a hands-off thing because, I mean, well, Red Hat, Red Hat does a hands-off thing with Fedora in general. So I think that what I they all, the thing I always had a problem with Fedora was that it was always associated to being the Red Hat's big play to the desktop, but it really wasn't a big play to desktop. They didn't really seem to care about it for years. And cause they always, they, when they, when you talk about, they actually have a page that explains the relationship between the two and said, is it's just, it's just an incubator for red rail. So rail is what they care about. And if Noah is correct about them tra- transitioning to the, you know, having a big focus on the desktop, I think that would be fantastic because that's one of the, one of the issues that I have with red hat like I'm a big fan of Red Hat overall, but that was always like you know just a little bit of the kink in the armor aspect of it. And if they address that, I think that'd be amazing. Yeah, not that I'm a fanboy or anything, but there are no kinks in Red Hat's armor. <laughs> oh, okay, sure, 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 sure. Let's go with that. So for our software spotlight this week, I picked C Matrix. C Matrix is based on the screensaver from one of my favorite movies, movie because there was no sequels to it, Matrix. The Matrix, it's basically the scrolling, <laughs> the scrolling awesome Matrix wallpaper that you can have on there. It shows text flying in and out in a terminal like you've seen in the Matrix movie itself. It can scroll lines all the same rate or asynchronously and at user-defined speeds. It's a pretty cool program. In fact, I think Derek from DistroTube has it in the background constantly where you see the Matrix <laughs> uh, theme kind of flying in. So if you've not checked out C-Matrix, go install it. Type in C Matrix in your terminal and watch the awesomeness in there. 
There's also a bunch of tax there as well that you can add to it for doing different settings and operations for the eye candy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I like tack R for the rainbow mode with multiple colors, or as <laughs> Wendy would call it, <laughs> rainbow vomit. <laughs> <laughs> nice hardware addicts reference. Love yes. it. Uh, that's awesome. That's awesome. I also like the fact that you said it's the, the one movie. I agree with that completely. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. We all do. Anybody who's seen the Matrix movie and seen the imposters of truly of the uh, of the follow ups would know that everything that Ryan said is absolutely correct. Yeah, exactly. Hey, you want to learn a random Linux command? It's kind of like those calendars that teach you a new command every day. Well, we have a command string that will show you how to do that. We'll have it linked for you in the show notes. But essentially, every time you run that command, it will generate the, a new Linux command that you can learn. And so you could add that to a script, perhaps. And every time your computer sh- you know, starts up, maybe it opens up a little terminal and gives you a suggestion of a command. And then we also suggest taking that over to a production machine and running those commands, just copy and paste and see what they do. Well, we don't recommend that. No, that's terrible <laughs> advice. The whole point is to learn the command. So you could use in, in the man, it will randomly pick a new one each day. You can go and research that command, learn something new every single day. And as I like to say, fill your brains with it, mm-hmm. right? Right. Yep. And just to be clear, this the command in the show notes is about is just the command to give you the random suggestion from the from the system. It's not like it doesn't have the calendar thing. That's just a, an idea you could use with it. Uh, that'd be really cool if someone did create a script to do that, or you could just set up to do a cron job to do that if you want to. But this is a really really cool idea. When I've I hadn't seen this before, uh, and I when I ran into my command after I saw it in the show notes, I was like, this is awesome because it like I was like, okay, what are the odds it's going to show me something that I didn't know the first time? At one time. o'clock in the morning, I got a message from Michael's brain saying, this is awesome, what you put in the show notes at 1 a.m. It was not 1 a.m. I said, and, and to be fair, there's a thing that Telegram has where you send it without the sound. So just it's in true. case they're asleep. And I did that, but he wasn't. So it wasn't my fault. Why did you do that at one in the morning? Couldn't that have waited till the next day? It wasn't. It was like during the show. No, if you want me to check to make sure, I will prove. No, we don't need you to check. It was one o'clock in the morning. We know what time. He knows what time it was. It was not. It was okay. It was eleven thirty for you. (laughs) That's so ridiculous. But that's your time zone. My time time zone. No, I said for you. It was. It was only ten. No, no, no. Totally. He operates on Central Time Zone. I see. So, so in order to, so in order to do this, you moved out. You moved for like for into the Atlantic Ocean. I was traveling. (laughs) Yes, he was traveling. He had a work trip. Okay. Cool. 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 Awesome. Glad we settled. Apologize, Michael. Oh, I'm I'm so sorry that you. (laughs) I didn't know that you moved into the ocean. Go sit in your stool for ten seconds. All right, cool. I, I, I'll put that. I'll, I'll put the dunce cap on too. Okay. So, so this is what we're saying is a chef in the head, as you, as it were. Nice, <laughs> clever. Nice. She's hired full time. Yes, exactly. Oh my goodness! All right, the dad joke. Yeah, that the the best thing about it is the dad joke. <laughs> I love dad jokes. So, yep. All right. So let's move on to the gaming section. <laughs> So this week in gaming, we're going to cover Valve and Proton because it's amazing. And there's some new news that came out that we just couldn't resist. Proton has been an absolute game changer for Linux and continues to be a welcome enhancement to the Linux gaming system overall. For those who may not be aware, Proton is basically a modified version of Wine from Code Weavers with some additional patchwork and libraries that Valve has layered on top. But the headline here is that there are now over 6,500 
Windows games on Linux today, thanks to this work and that partnership. Now, I hear a lot of people bragging about their Steam library. In fact, I'm going to ask Jill how many games she has in hers because I'm fascinated with 100 computers. She might be close to this, but I've never met a person that has more than 6,500 games in their Steam library. Jill, how many games do you have in your Steam library? Uh, Now over 3,000. Oh, my gosh. You're Wow. I do have three different Steam accounts. 3,000 games. That's insane. Michael, how many do you have? I might have a couple hundred, maybe. I think maybe. I think I got 190 or something. I think Noah has two. But no, I have all three Counter Strike games and I have Golf with Friends. Thank you very much. Oh, four. My bad. One of my favorite games of all time. Yes, Golf with Friends is amazing. Um, So they've tested over 12,800 games. So close to half all work on Linux. Uh, While gaming is not a hobby everyone is interested in, it is essential, in my opinion, to the growth and adoption of Linux on the desktop. And it couldn't be more exciting for me to be able to look at these numbers, these insanely incredible numbers, and this impressive partnership that Valve and Code Weavers have that has allowed us to play our favorite games and enjoy them in the Linux ecosystem. It's just incredible. And also the community's involvement with ProtonDB, keeping track of all the different games and testing it and being able to just submit like what your experience was and then having a rating system based on like how many people felt like it was a good, a good experience and that kind of thing. Like the Proton, one, the Proton software from Valve and Codeweavers is amazing. And the amount of impact and the involvement that the community was able to you know come to collect together and create the proton db thing is just another example of how this just entire this whole uh, compatibility layer is just a fantastic piece of the gaming world on linux because not only do you get the awesome work by valve and co-weavers but you also get a lot of awesome work from the the community itself being able to participate with the database And we can't forget about what Lutris has brought to gaming. Uh, oh, yeah, Command, sure. Commandin is a cl- very close friend of mine. So I've been watching him all these years with the development on the software. And, you know, his, his software really helped spearhead gaming on Linux long before Valve and Codeweavers were enhancing Wine for Proton. And, you know, Lutris, as I don't know if a lot of a lot of you out there know, but Lutris actually uses newer wine staging builds and enhancements that Valve later uses in Proton. Hmm. And as a result, many Windows games that don't work with Steam's Proton will work in Lutris. And many games that run on Proton run better and at a higher FPS with Lutris. You know, but all this wouldn't have happened if it wasn't for Gabe Newell of uh, Valve having this vision and bringing Linux gaming to the world. Yes, so, so well yes. said. That's, I, I agree that Lutris is a fantastic tool, and a lot of times I also love the fact that they're so simple to install it, even though you yes. have to do all these specific things. Typically, you had to do these super specific esoteric things to get games to work with wine and that kind of thing. And Lutris is like they have like recipe scripts that you just do. You just use those. Yes, really cool idea. And it's it's the it's kind of like you know that if you if Proton doesn't work. Lutris all like usually works not not always yeah. but usually that's exactly the, the experience mm-hmm. I had with Warframe. Me and you were playing it oh, for a while. Yes. We were having really really good time in Warframe. We were playing it out of Proton. Suddenly it stopped working in regular Steam Proton. Mm-hmm. Installed it in Lutris worked perfectly. So I was able to play Warframe again. You know, Lutris Yay. is an amazing tool. 
Yeah, I love that thing too. Yeah, and also the great point that Jill made was about like this. All this is possible thanks to Gabe Newell and Valve. You know, putting their mm-hmm. their backing behind the Linux platform because before Valve did that, we basically had what seven games. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now now we have thousands, and it's, it's just exactly. fantastic. A big thank you to each and every one of you for supporting us by watching or listening to Destination Linux. If you want a behind-the-scenes pass into the making of the show, and I'm telling you, especially this show with Jill, we've had so many amazing conversations off-screen. If you want to be able to see that or chat with us live, consider becoming a patron. Our patrons help keep the show going and get perks like access to the live recordings. Even if you couldn't make it to this amazing live recording here, you get an unedited version of the show where you can watch all the content. The best part is you can join for just a few dollars on Patreon or sponsors. The Destination Linux Network also has a great way for you to become a part of the community by going to destinationlinux.network and joining our forums. Discuss the show, the network, with all listeners from all around the world, all in one place. If you're looking for more live chat sessions, then join us in our Telegram group, where we have over 1,300 members of the Linux community interacting with one another and sharing their passion for Linux. If you'd like to learn more, we invite you to head over to destinationlinux.network. And we love hearing from you, so please get back to us, provide some feedback, or ask any burning questions that you have. Send the video links like we had today or your comments to the email address comments at destinationlinux.org. Please try to keep the comments brief as we may include them in a future episode of the show. And also don't forget to check out the DLN store, pick up some swag from across the network of podcasts. We have all kinds of awesome designs out there, and we have even a founding member's for DLN version of shirts and hoodies out there that are absolutely amazing. And many claim wearing a DLN shirt is a life-changing experience. (laughs) Yep, absolutely. I've heard it many, many times. (laughs) And if you want more content from us, the fun doesn't stop here. We also have our own channels that you can check out. You can go go to youtube.com slash dosgeek, where Ryan will fill your brains on hardware, software, and all things Linux. You can check out my content at tuxdigital.com, where I do an in-depth weekly Linux GNU's podcast called This Week in Linux, which just got to 100 episodes, by the way. Uh, I already said that. I know that. But anyway, on, and also other Linux-related content. And you can check out Noah's show, the AskNoahShow.com, where he does a weekly talk radio show on Tuesdays at 6 p.m. Central, where you can call in and he'll answer your Linux tech and business questions. And also be sure to check out Front Page Linux, where we do a lot of great articles and everything like that. Speak, you know, I did those uh, naturally, uh, you know, not self-promotion or anything like that. But uh, speaking of self-promotion, we'd like to offer Jill the opportunity <laughs> to promote herself. So where, where can people find you, Jill? Oh, I can be found at linuxgamecast.com doing the weekly Linux news show podcast, LWDW, and many game streams. And on Twitter at Jill underscore Linux girl, at Mastodon at Jill underscore Linux girl, at mast.linuxgamecast.com. Yeah, that's a mouthful. (laughs) (laughs) And and via email, Jill at linuxgamecast.com. Make sure to check out other Destination Linux Network shows like Hardware Addicts, Linux for Everyone, and Deal and Extend Podcasts. And our very own Jason Evangelo of Linux for Everyone created a folding at home group for the Destination Linux Network. So be sure if you want to participate in that and help uncover uh, valuable information about COVID-19 and the other issues that you could, that viruses and stuff that happen, uh, you can ch- join that team by joining the two, two fours. That's okay. They don't have a number. They they don't have a name team. They have a number team. So it's two four zero eight six nine, and we'll have that in the show notes so that you can you know reference it rather than having to listen over and over to find out what the number is. Everyone out there in Linux land, have a great week and stay healthy and safe. And remember that the journey itself 
is just as important as the destination. Amazing. Thank you, Jill. Thank you. Yep. See you next week, everybody. (laughs) So happy to have you on, Jill. You're amazing. You guys are awesome. This just, it was like, it just... It's family. We it's like, a fa- family. like we've always been doing it. <laughs> yeah, I know. Right? That's what it feels like. <laughs>